Living is easy with eyes closed, misunderstanding all you see. It's getting hard to be someone, but it all works out. It doesn't matter much to me. Yep, that is me. And that's me reading the lyrics to the Beatles' Strawberry Fields in an admittedly slightly pretentious way. So I'm sorry about that. But trust me, there's a reason for that. Misunderstanding all you see, but it all works out. That's the clue. Let's dive into the power of conflict and creativity. Welcome to Two Pages with MBS, the podcast where brilliant people read two pages from a favorite book, a book that has moved them, a book that has shaped them. And my guest today is an author who delights in writing about human behavior and the traits that drive us. I first discovered his work with his important book, Curious, which unpacks the nuances of curiosity. But Ian Leslie has a new book, Conflicted. And today we're talking about the link between curiosity, which, you know, I love, and conflict, which frightens me a little. Ian didn't start out as an author, however. He spent his early professional career in advertising until one fateful day when the rug was pulled out from under him and he was fired. I had an early midlife crisis, some, t- some point in my kind of mid-30s, and I really do advise it, and I think you should get your midlife crisis in early and you know, often. Um, and, and I thought, I don't actually want to do that. I, I love advertising in lots of ways, but I don't want to do it you know, all the time, um, the rest of my life. Um, I'm going to see if I can get a, a writing career off the ground. So Ian did. And in addition to his books, he writes for The Economist and other well-known publications. And he has one of his own, a newsletter called The Ruffian which got its name by unconventional means. I couldn't think of what to call it. And, and, and when I started it, I, I saw it as a place where I, I would just sort of draft thoughts and, and bounce ideas off, and eventually they might become articles or, or even books and so on. So I, it was a pun on the rough Ian, the rough draft of... Um, and of course, it's a stupid pun. Nobody gets it. And, um, <laughs> and, I'm, and it mean, it's sort of meaningless, but, and I'm stuck with it. So... I love a bad slash good pun. And in fact, the name of one of the greatest bands in the world, the Beatles, is a bad pun as well. It's B-E-A-T-L-E-S rather than the usual Beatles spelling. And that's the, the segue. And that's the segue I need to introduce Ian's chosen book. It's about the Beatles and how they created their brilliant groundbreaking songs. Ian's quite the fan. I, I hadn't really understood the extent of their creative genius, um, you know, I, I could see that they were hugely successful and they made great music and I could see they're likable guys. But very few writers had really taken them seriously as musicians, um, as artists, really. You know, because it was almost like we were still at the end at the, in, a, in a process in our, in our cultural history where we didn't really take pop that seriously. I don't know. There's a certain point where you get, you, you love the music and you also get so bound up in the story and, in, 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 you know, in these characters, John, Paul, George, and Ringo, that you, you just become immersed in the story. And once you're in, it's like a cult, you know, you can't, you can't get out. And I'm still, I'm still part of it, you know, decades later. Now the book Ian chose to read from goes against the trend you typically find when reading about your favorite artists. Ian explains. I read so many interviews and articles about music, pop musicians and so on. Right. Where 
they they talk about everything except what they do. Right. You know, like if you want to understand the soul of this person, you want to get to the heart of what this person is about. Show me the work. Show Show me the work. Yeah. Yes. Come on. Talk about the work. That's where they are. Right. Um, And 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 this is what Ian McDonald does in this book. So so it's it's important not just as a kind of book about the you know the Beatles, which obviously to me was was hugely revelatory and important. But it's also even if you're not particularly into the Beatles, fascinating book about the nature of creativity uh, and art. What did it give you permission to do, having read this book? It gave me permission to. <sighs> really think a lot harder about yeah about the nature of the creative process right. and, and 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 art and to really it's sort of you know even if only in a small way it sets the bar for you you know whatever you're doing it it, it will come to you in lots of different ways in fact when i read the passage i'll, I'll point some of them out but yeah. there are many ways in which I go. Do you know what this is? This is similar to the problems that uh, or the, the the Beatles faced, right? Um, yeah. It be, because it's such a, a a sort of archetypal creative process. There are many lessons that you can draw from it for any creative endeavor in which you are uh, right. involved. Well, I can't wait to hear these two pages, Ian. So why don't you take it away? So. Um... Ian Leslie, reading Revolution in the Head by Ian MacDonald, published first in 1994. I know, I think the latest edition was 2009. So Ian, over to you. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to just introduce this passage just by telling you where we are in in the Beatles story. Yeah, please. So this is uh, late 1966, about halfway through the the, the Beatles' short career. Um, and They've just recorded an album called Revolver, which was this huge kind of leap forward. It included Eleanor Rigby and Tomorrow Never Knows um, and Yellow Submarine, all sorts of insanely (laughs) brilliant stuff. And they're already thinking about their next album, um, which turns out to be Sgt. Pepper. They don't know that yet. Um, But they are starting to think that the next album should be about childhood they have this very vague notion that they're quite interested in, in writing songs about childhood and, and nostalgia right um and the the two pages these two pages are about strawberry fields forever uh, or strawberry fields which uh in the end wasn't on the sergeant pepper album it's like they had so many songs they just left it off the album <laughs> so um uh it was released as a, as a single uh, with with Penny Lane, and so Strawberry Fields is is primarily a a, a John song, um, and so these two pages are really the the story of him coming up with a song and then and then how the band recorded it, and I think just you'll see there's like ten different lessons about creativity. Just so Brilliant. excuse me if some of it's a little bit technical, um, but I, 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 it it's 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 very rich as, at, at the same time. Okay, so Fantastic. John, this is this is September. 1966, um, John has gone to Spain to to film uh, to to be in a film called How I Won the War, and so he's by himself a lot of the time. He's with his guitar, and when he's offset, he's just working on this 
little song it may not go anywhere just sort of playing a few chords over and over again piecing the song together on acoustic guitar during breaks from filming How I Won the War in Spain in September. Lennon seems to have lost and rediscovered his artistic voice, passing through an interim phase of creative inarticulacy that's reflected in the halting, childlike quality of his lyric. The music, too, shows Lennon at his most sonambulistic, moving uncertainly through thoughts and tones like a momentarily blinded man feeling for something familiar. In fact, so unusual was the direction that Lennon took with Strawberry Fields that he had no idea of what he wanted. And the first three days of recording, uh, which begin uh, a couple of months later in November, the first three days of recording amounted to a sustained false start. There's a thin sketch, is now kind of some of this is, is released now. You can, you can listen to it evolve. A thin sketch in which... The, the first version is a thin sketch in which the chorus is held back for two verses. Then the chorus is brought to the front and the, the slower first version of Strawberry Fields was commenced on 28th of November. Five takes of this being accumulated by the end of the next day and the last mixed down to... This is take seven. On the assumption that it would be the basic track. Lennon, though, was uneasy. And after a week's break, he and George Martin agreed to start from scratch using different instrumentation, trumpets, cellos. A faster, denser rhythm track was created on the 8th and 9th of December. And a week later, the session players, the trumpet players and the cello players, scored by Martin, performed their uh, overdubs. Lennon remained unsatisfied. Finally, after a week of pondering, he announced that he wanted the first part of the original version to be spliced to the second part of the new one. A task that would involve matching two takes recorded at different speeds and a semitone apart in pitch. George Martin ventured mildly that this would be impossible. Lennon was adamant. Lennon was adamant and he turned out to be right. By sheer fluke, it happened that the difference in tempi between the two tracks was in nearly exact ratio to the difference in their keys. By very speeding the two takes to approximately the same tempo, Martin and his engineer Jeff Emerick pulled off one of the most effective edits in pop, detectably, detectable only in a change in ambience at about one minute in. This swoop from the airiness of the first chorus, chorus verse into something more shadowy, serious and urgent was what Lennon had been groping for all along, yet ultimately it had to be achieved through controlled accident. More controlled accident lies behind the track's peculiar swimming sound, derived from the very speeding techniques developed during the revolver sessions. In fact, there's so much varying of the speed, the tape speed during the making of Strawberry Fields that the final mix wanders in a microtonal borderland between keys. An idea of how much acceleration needs to be needed to be applied to the first version to match it to the second one can be heard can be had by comparing Starr's high-frequency snare sound in the opening minute with its more natural pitch thereafter. Though though par excellence a, a, a Lennon song, Strawberry Fields drew sharp contributions from all involved. Apart from Starr's uh, indispensable foundation work, 
The main features of the texture were supplied by a, a Mellotron, played by McCartney. So Mellotron was a kind of primitive uh, electronic organ. Um, and if you can re recall the opening of Strawberry Fields, uh, that little sound. Dee, 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 that's that's kind of childlike, slightly creepy <laughs> organ, which is so important to to the track. Um, the atmosphere of the track is played by uh, it was McCartney's contribution. Um, and there's also a, a, a this is McDonald back to McDonald and a sort of Indian zither called a Svarmandal, used by Harrison for the descending raga scale, which pans across the stereo spectrum at the ends of the central choruses. Picking up on this Indian inflection, George Martin wove his cellos exotically around McCartney's sitar-like guitar fills in the fade. His one-note brass fanfare, emerging as the most exciting feature of a superbly climactic arrangement. Devouring an unprecedented 55 hours of studio time. By the way, 55 hours to make a track would not be considered a long time these days. The Beatles did everything very fast. And, you know, the fact that you know, 55 hours was extraordinary for, for them. Um, but but uh, now it wouldn't be. Devouring an unprecedented 55 hours of studio time, Strawberry Fields Forever extended the range of studio techniques developed on Revolver, opening up possibilities for pop, which, given sufficient invention, could result in unprecedented sound images. Such moods and textures had formerly been the province of classical music. And when George Martin described the recording as a complete tone poem, like a modern Debussy, he did so with justification. Genres apart, the main difference between a Debussy piece and a song like Strawberry Fields lies less in expressive aspiration than in range of colour and fluency of articulation. Here, the Beatles show that technical shortcomings, far from constraining the imagination, can let it expand into areas inaccessible to the trained mind. Heard for what it is, a sort of technologically evolved folk music, Strawberry Fields Forever shows expression of a high order. While there are countless contemporary composers qualified to write music hugely more sophisticated in form and technique, few, if any, are capable of displaying feeling and fantasy so direct, spontaneous and original. Wow, that is fantastic. And I know I've immediately lost about 80% of my listeners because they've all turned off the podcast to go and listen to the song. <laughs> go, Wait, let me listen to it now. But yeah, gosh, that's exactly yeah, just... what it does, right? The passage, this is true of, of the whole book, right? It just sends you back to the music and you hear it again. Even if you've heard it a thousand times, right. you, you, know, you read this guy and you go back to it and you go, wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, I just love so much about that. But, you know, as somebody who's a writer myself, the idea of sustained false starts <laughs> just strikes me to my soul as I yeah. discard thousands of words of, I thought it was good, it's not so good. And also Lennon's, that nagging, that naggingness in the back of your brain going, you know what, it's not there yet. It's good enough. We could We could put this out. It would do but I've got a vision for something and I'm groping towards it. And it's only in the groping that the vision unfolds. 
That just it, feels yeah. so resonant. Yeah, exactly right. And 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 um, yeah. I mean, there's so much in here. Um, and actually, you know, if you if you you can actually listen to to a few of these the, the versions on 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 YouTube or on on Spotify, and yeah, you you see that it, we hear strawberry fields, and like like with any kind of finished article you kind of think wow how did they come up with that that's brilliant this is this is genius it didn't feel like genius at the time it, it, no. to them it would have felt like a, oh, a bit of a you know yeah, 55 crappy. long hours yeah like <laughs> and, and and certainly in those early stages it was like oh, this isn't not there's something here but i'm not sure it's it's very good and so you can hear lennon kind of bashing away at an acoustic guitar singing some some kind of verses and it just doesn't it's nothing, it's not much there, but he kind of just keeps nagging away at it and it just sort of grows mm. and, and, and grows and grows. Um, so yeah, it, first of all, it's, it's, it's a reminder of how things kind of evolve almost from nothing and, and they can, you know, go yeah. all the way to, to something brilliant. Um, but also this idea of kind of not knowing what he wanted, but knowing he wanted something, um, you know, walking into the studio and saying, "Look, this is this is this is what I've got, and I, I've got a kind of vision for it, and I feel like it should be, but I don't know what it is." Um, yeah, and 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 also kind of just demanding the impossible, which Lennon did a lot. <laughs> right. Um, the, 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 there's a. And a, a it also a, a reminder of, as it's been said many times, but you know, they called George Martin the fifth Beatle. And for yeah. the role he plays in making the impossible happen, <laughs> when Lenin goes, make these two, make this. It's like Apollo sixteen. It's like we've got a round thing. We need a square thing. Just make it happen. And you've got sixteen hours. Go. <laughs> and it's like okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think it's really interesting because it's uh, in many different types of work collaboration. You're often dealing with. Um, people who think in very different ways, right? Some version of a kind of engineer and a creative yeah. person, right? Um, and and often the, the 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 creative person is saying, yeah, but I want it to be like this. And then the person responsible for executing the plan is like, well, I don't think that's going to be oh. possible. <laughs> now, if the creative yeah, person Marketing, just the they're a nightmare stage, to work with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly, I saw this in advertising all the time, right? Um, yeah. And, and, and if the if the creative person is too too easily backs down and says, "Well, okay, yeah, mm -hmm. I guess it's not possible," then you may not get to the genius, you know, to to to, to, to the brilliant yeah. thing that 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 can happen. Um, and it, the, the, okay, so so McCartney and Lennon had different. Uh, uh, you know, George Martin talked about how they they would present their problems in different different ways mccartney would come to him with the problem almost half solved a lot of the time so mccartney would come in and say right. look you know i think i want to uh, orchestrate the track like this and i i'm thinking we're going to have flutes like this and trumpets like this and, and it's going to work like this mm. and, and martin would be like great yep i can work with that let's go and do that leonard would come in and he would say i want this one to sound like a lemon <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and martin would go Mm hmm okay john yep okay. yep uh, <laughs> we'll yeah. see what we could do and they were both like actually great like the, 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 there's no right or wrong way to do it especially no. when you're at that level of talent you, you know you, you kind of uh lennon's sort of yep. 
you know, determination to just say, I want it to be like this. And, and it's over yeah. to you, George, and, and, the, and the team at Abbey Road. Help me make it happen. It, uh, it's helpful to have George Martin being able to speak both languages. Let me ask you a yes. question, Ian, if, if I can. What light, if any, does that passage, which is so brilliant about the, cre- the unexpected creation of Strawberry Fields, how does that, how did that reflect on or shade in some way the, the latest work around understanding productive conflict? Oh, I think that's what I, what I was talking about, really, um, in, in, in mm. terms of you need, um, you know, it doesn't say that they had a row about whether how, how they were going to mix those two tracks together, you know, whether that was right. possible. But certainly there was, there's clearly some disagreement there, right? Yeah. Right. So, so, so Lennon says, right, well, we've got these two takes. We've got a kind of rock band take and we've got this kind of more orchestral Baroque take. And mm. Lennon walking into Abbey Road and saying to Martin and the engineers, well, I like both of them. Let's put them both to- but together. <laughs> now, right. they would have, they, they probably did feel like this is ridiculous. You know, you can't yeah. do that. George, tell him you can't. You know the other engineers were saying, "Come on, George, you tell you could." You could. Uh, yeah, yeah. And George Martin said, "We, well, you know, probably did it very politely and diplomatically, but you know, that's impossible." Um, and but the the fact that they were they were able to handle those kind of tensions and 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 disagreements, and actually, without those without that disagreement. You know, we, the 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 genius of of the the, the Beatles albums was they were they were kind of a creation of these kind of relatively technical conservative engineers in Abbey Road. I mean, they wore white coats, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> these guys were like um, quite sort of rigid in their thinking in some ways, quite conservative, versus these crazy kind of guys who were like, "Hey, I, I want to make this sound like a, a thousand monks on the top of a hill. Just go and do it." Um, <laughs> It was the two together that that so, so I, I do think that you know I talk about the in the in conflicted I talk about how conflict is essential to to creativity and, and innovation. Right. You, you need both sides. You need people kind of pushing from both sides um, in order to create something new that's neither one nor the other, right? So you don't get the yeah. conventional take and and you don't get the really radical out there take you literally get yeah. what Lennon created in that you know what they created together which is you you smush the two things together and you you create something new that nobody's ever done before you know one of my first bosses he had a, a motto he was in the world of innovation and creativity and he's like we're, we're finding the space between madness and measure and i love that as a quote yeah. he's like if it's too far on the extremes it's boring or weird but in in where the two meet, where the, where they intermingle, that's where some magic can happen. That's right. And and the important thing here is not to think about it as a compromise. So it's right. not literally just like find the spot in the middle and and go there. It's like it's like two plus two equals five. You know, two plus two equals mm-hmm. equals a million. Right. Um, it's it's you, you you don't just find the middle ground. You take these two different points of view these two different visions of how to do something and and you make something bigger and 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 more original from them than than it's been you know than either was was capable of, of seeing themselves okay but ian let me ask you this so that i get but here's the hard thing for me it's staying in those moments of tension where the, where there's heat 
in the room where I, I feel part of me goes, this is a helpful conversation. Part of this goes, this is a threat to my autonomy and my expertise and my role on the team. What have you learned about what it takes to be able to stay in, to stay present to the moment and the opportunity in these moments of tension and these moments of heat? The, the, the underlying it all is it's always the relationship right you know, whether, whether it's it's the relationship with somebody you, you don't know very well or or, or someone you've you've been around it, it's it's the thing that you know in in communication science they, they talk they say that in any conversation any interaction between human beings there's two levels there's always two levels going on there's the the content level which is the thing that we are talking about um mm. and there's the relationship level which is inarticulate it's not articulated it's it's yeah. nonverbal um it's it's about what you think about me and what i think about you do you like me and respect me do you and and vice versa mm. and unless there is some sort of settlement some sort of agreement at the relationship level the content level is just going to go off course or it's not going to go anywhere Right, right. We have to have a settled relationship, and once we, when we have a settled relationship, where we think, yeah, okay, we we, we both see each other in, in a way that we're both comfortable with, you can get into, you know, conflict and disagreement at the content level, and it's actually creative rather than destructive. Right. If you're not, if if you're, if there is a real sort of festering tension at that relationship level. It's just going right. to derail the, the the content conversation, or um, it's and it's just not going to go anywhere. And and one of the things about the the Beatles, which McCartney and talks about, still talks about, is that they just knew each other incredibly well. Particularly, obviously, the four yeah. of them. But but then they quickly formed a good relationship with with George Martin when when they met him, and they had no problem therefore disagreeing with each other. You know, McCartney will say, I, a lot of our songs got to be so good is that I, I, I would produce something and Lennon would say, that's not very good, is it? And I'd say, no, you're right. <laughs> you know, because they right. knew it. They'd grown up together. They'd learned yeah. their craft at the same time. Um, and when, the, so yeah, so when the relationship is strong, when when the, the, the sort of microculture of the group is, is strong enough where it's accepted that people are going to criticize and disagree and conflict and that's okay, then you've got a really kind of fertile ground for, for creative disagreement. What's the connection between curiosity and conflict? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because I, I set out to write this book about conflict and, and, and disagreement, um, thinking that it was a completely different subject to curiosity. Um, and I realized <laughs> in some ways it's a kind of part two um, right. because Curiosity is kind of um, the antidote to hostility and 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 the kind of hostility and polarization that can set in mm. to any disagreement, whether it's a political disagreement, you know, red versus blue in the states, or 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 just you know, even in in a in a boardroom, you know, you, you get polarization right. and and people not listening to each other, people getting angry at each other and mistaking a difference of opinion for a personal attack, right? These things happen all the time, and one of the one of the big, you know, most powerful antidotes to that is curiosity. 
you know, if if you're faced with someone and and they, they are saying something that you completely disagree with, you're going to have a very strong instinct to dismiss them as right. stupid or, or or evil. If you mm. put yourself into a different mindset and say, "Well, hang on a minute, I, I'm not, I'm never going to agree with this person," right? So that's that's put that to one side. It doesn't really matter. I can be interested in, I can be interested in how they arrived at this point of view. And and actually you can, you can always be interested and say, well, how did you, yeah. how did you get here? And, and, you know, just to, uh, giving a long answer to your question, but I, I, what, this is one of the lessons that I learned when I, when I interviewed for the book, I interviewed, um, inter- expert interrogators. So, right. so really effective interrogators do not, do what you see in the movies, which is, you know, they don't walk into the room and sort of bang the table and say, you've got to tell me what you know. I'm going to throw the book at you. Um, the, they do, in a way, that's, that's what the, the, the suspect uh, expects. And if they're a trained, uh, right. you know, if they're trained to resist this kind of thing, which many of them are, uh, it's, it's kind of easy for them. <laughs> they just shut down. Right. Um, the really expert ones walk in there and, and they say, look, um, I, I can't, tell you i can't make you tell me anything right if you don't want to talk you you, it's your legal right not to talk you can actually leave the room if you want um but i have to say i'm just i'm really interested in 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 how you got here (laughs) i would like to know that and 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 by the way and the key about this is that they don't that they know it works but but they they they're not doing it cynically because they are genuinely interested that the really good right. interrogators are absolutely curious about these people they do want to know you can't actually fake it or if you know you can fake it badly it'll probably backfire um and so and and they are putting aside what they they may think this person is a terrible person right because but maybe this person tried to kill their their colleagues or, or succeeded who knows they have to put all that yeah. stuff aside and just get interested right and i kind of think well if they can do it you know i can do it in some petty right. dispute with my colleague or my or a member of my right. family whatever um just let your curiosity unfurl and and that that can make a lot of disagreement go better it feels to me in that in both curiosity and playing a role in productive conflict involves you being willing to give up something, maybe give up status or authority um, and willing to kind of cede that ground to, um, you know, as you say, when your, your book, not one up the person, but kind of allow them to one up you so that they yeah. feel that they have authority and face and, and a degree of control. And that's all well and good in theory, but in practice, that's extremely difficult. I'm I'm curious to know how you nurture that willingness to cede authority and status. I think that's absolutely right. Well, well the first thing is you, you have to kind of think about it and be aware of these dynamics, right? I mean, that's kind of the mm. the mission of the book, really, is is to is to help us all be a little bit more aware of, of why disagreements go wrong. You know, they it's not right. inevitable. Uh, you can make them go better. Not always, right? It's not always possible, but there's uh, there's usually a lot more you can do to make to make them go better. Um, and yeah, you're right. It, it, it's it's a status. Get, they, it, the reason that they go wrong is often because they just become a power struggle. They become a kind of battle of people asserting their their status in the conversation. Mm. And and you can you can help that, or, or you can avoid that at least to some extent in 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 two ways. One by controlling your own ego not letting that get out of control that's hard enough right right, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, but the other thing you can do is is help them manage their own ego you know help them 
feel good about where they are in the conversation, um, which might mean, you know, complimenting them or, or showing them some respect or showing them that you like them or or finding some mm. thing that you agree on or that you both feel the same way about and then getting to the hard part of, of the, the disagreement. But you're trying to settle them as well as settle yourself before, before you know, really getting into, in, into the the tough part um so yeah you, you, there are things you can do but I, I i agree it's hard but that's that's why we need to kind of think of it as a as a skill that, that, that you that you educate yourself in and you practice and, and you get better at over time do both of these skills effectively mean that you have to kind of you know manage the amygdala that fight or flight response because i can imagine both in conflict and also when you're not curious you're probably you could be in that kind of reactive state. Feels like both both of these things need to kind of be front of the brain, prefrontal cortex acts rather than instinct. Yes, yes, to a certain extent. Um, uh, you're you're certainly kind of managing those 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 instincts, and certainly right. like when, when when people are disagreed with, they do often feel. Yeah, there is a primitive part of their brain which reacts to it as, as if they're being attacked <laughs> right. by a, a bear. I'm, I'm, you know. I'm living with my parents at the moment, so I feel like my amygdala fla flashes on and off on a regular basis right now, even though I'm a 53-year-old man. I'm like, it's so interesting to watch me react. Exactly, right. Now, that I, I just think that's the first stage, in, in not just in disagreement, conflict, but in so many ways. Like, just being aware of what's going on helps you manage it, right? Even mm. if you can't control it. At least there's a little bit of you which is able to step outside and go, okay, my amygdala is flat. You know, some <laughs> primitive kind of reptile brain is is being triggered here. Um, yeah. I, 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 it doesn't make it go away necessarily, but but it does make it a little bit easier to to manage. And 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 I'm not kind of suggesting that we should be purely, you know rational and, and a, 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 in a disagreement or an argument they don't all have to be kind of you know spock like you know hyper rational right. clashes of, of of philosophy um they they should be emotional right? you should throw yourself into an argument if it's something you care about because actually you know when you care right. about something that often makes that often improves your thinking right it, it, yeah. one of the things we learn from neuroscience is that the, the emotions and, and rationality are not these kind of two separate zones that they're, they're bound up with each other and, and and they can be used to improve each other hey um ian i've got a final question for you um it's a kind of it's a it's a catch-all sweep it all big question at the end of the interview and it's this what needs to be said that hasn't yet been said in this conversation between the two of us what uh, the, the one thing that that i kind of come back to a lot when i think about creative processes is the the importance of constraints um in fact not just creative processes but all sorts of things where we tend to think of freedom as this just unalloyed good mm. right when, uh, creativity mm -hmm. is about hey i don't need any rules here i'm just going to go and do stuff right but a big part of the reason that 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 the Beatles were doing these revolutionary things in the studio is that the, the studio was not, it was pretty primitive. And, and actually they had the chance to go and record in LA and, and, and places like that. And they, they were tempted to do it. They just never got around to it. And they would have had a more kind of technologically advanced, you know, but actually right. the, the engineers and the band had to be so creative 
you know, to, to, mm. that actually it, it just made them produce things that they wouldn't have produced in a more technologically advanced. So often, you know, we, we, we can't create these technologies to make these things easier for us. But by making things yeah. easier for us, it enables us to, to put less effort into being creative right. ourselves. Um, and, and, and I think that's just such an important lesson in, in all sorts of ways. Yeah, it's the, uh, as they always say, it's the grit and the oyster that creates the pearl. And sometimes that's other people, right? So that's why conflict is so important here. Sometimes other people are the constraint on you, and and that and yeah. they are the constraint that is is making you think harder and 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 go deeper into yourself to to to, to bring up something more original and more creative and, and more interesting. So, you know, you know, you should glory in in people who who are good disagreeers and right. who will come back at you and not always give you what you want because then you find out. Um, uh, as, as a rival band to the Beatles. <laughs> Sometimes that's how you find out what you need. Now, if you're like me, you've already hit pause on this podcast conversation, gone and had a listen to Strawberry Fields. And look, I appreciate you coming back. So thank you for doing that. Now, as someone who's a creator myself of books and podcasts and courses and the like, this was a hugely powerful conversation for me. And I'm taking three key things out of it. First, patience. Patience to wait for things to emerge through time. It just takes a while for good things to show up. You waste, and I'm doing air quotes as I say that, a bunch of time up front in the creating of something, particularly something that feels new or on the edge. You know, I'm writing a new book at the moment, and I've literally just hit delete on the first third of it. It kills me. And it's just part of the process. The second thing I'm taking out of the conversation is unreasonableness. John Lennon saying, look, attach these two significantly different things together and just make it work. To create great stuff, you've often got to declare what seems impossible or at least unreasonable. And finally, point number three, you're never doing this on your own. Strawberry Fields is as much a Sir George Martin production as it is a Beatles production or a, a Lennon McCartney production. You know, Martin was the master technician who made it work. And behind anybody who's really achieving great things, you've got other people who are making stuff happen in the background. Just as when I write a great book, I've got a designer and an editor and a copy editor and and early readers, I've got a, a cast of thousands helping me create the stuff that makes it look like it's all my own work. I hope that you're taking on a worthy goal, something thrilling and important and daunting for you. And there just might be a clue in the Beatles about how you can make progress towards something extraordinary. If you want to find out more about Ian, you'll find him at ian-leslie.com. So that's Ian, I-A-N dash leslie l-e-s-l-i-e dot com i'd encourage you to hunt down and sign up for the ruffian or the rough ian newsletter um, that's a Substack newsletter i get that i subscribe to that i find in always brings interesting perspectives into the world i just want to say thank you to you for listening to the podcast listening all the way to the end if you haven't done it already perhaps you'll consider joining our free community it's called the duke humphreys the duke humphreys the library at oxford university where the cool rare beautiful extraordinary books were kept and at my duke humphreys you get access to unreleased episodes um, the full uncut interviews with all of, all of my guests um, some cool downloads as well 
It's totally free, but I'd love you to come and join the community there. Other people who love books and who love the two pages as much as you might. And the podcast grows by word of mouth. So if this conversation about creativity and conflict and patience has struck a chord for you, perhaps there's somebody else in your world that you might go, you know what? They might benefit from that conversation as well. And if that person comes to mind, please ping them a note and say, Oi, listen to the podcast. You'll enjoy it. If you have time, a review and a little rating on whatever your podcast app is always appreciated. And I'll just sign off by saying you are awesome. You're doing great. <laughs>